Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Good morning, everyone, or good night, or good evening, depending on when you're listening to this. Welcome to another Tesh Talks episode. On today's show, we have Martin from Yorkshire. Got another Yorkshire man on the show, eh? And we are talking about, well, quite a few things, actually. We're talking about service accommodation and why he doesn't do it anymore, commercial to residential and how you can get started in it, buy to let HMOs, uh, and potentially a little bit of land, and what his favourite one of these is. We also talk about some of the management of HMOs, uh, this this episode, I think, is less focused on, say, the figures and deals, but more focused on maybe the mindset and structure to being successful in property. Uh, Martin was a professional footballer for 14 years before he got into property, and he still plays at the moment. Uh, so I think this will be an interesting one for anyone who is a sports person or has a career that can be short-lived uh, to kind of learn about his journey and how he lost a lot of money to a financial advisor. Bad. If you want to make a passive investment, please get in touch with me. If you want to earn and learn, get in touch with me. Martin, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. I'm uh, definitely a Tej fan from the social media side of things. So it's uh, yeah, an honor to be invited on. Good. Not a problem. So uh, am I right in saying that you were a professional footballer for 14 years? Yes, yes, that is correct. Yeah, I've. Uh, I'm, this is the first season that I've not been full time. I'm still playing. I'm. Uh, I'm just part time now. Um, so that's kind of freed my days up to uh, to focus on the property. But yeah, other than that, it's been uh, yeah a long time in football. So when you were so before we kind of get into like yeah what you're doing in property, am I right in saying that you went to school, you were a footballer, and that's kind of been your your only career and your main thing you've been doing up until property um no not not 100 percent true that it's um i i left school um i was playing football but i didn't kind of take the general path that footballers kind of get picked up as a kid i, I didn't do any of that i was just kind of playing locally part-time um and when i left school i was actually um a land surveyor studying civil engineering um and had a, a pretty decent job in that so when i did first start football at kind of a relatively low level um, at the time compared to where, where I did finish up. Um, it was something that um, I, I kind of made sure that I got the qualification in civil engineering just as something to fall back on. Um, but what that did for me when starting out in football, I always had half an eye on on the real world outside of football and what kind of... Um, how difficult it is to replicate the kind of salaries you can earn in football back out. So I always had kind of a, a, a plan and an eye on, on things for after football, hence why the, the property stuff came about. Hmm. And I don't watch football. I, I play FIFA. That's, that's where it stops. So um, what, what team did you play for? How did like talk me through a bit of that for the, for the listeners who are into football? Um, yeah, no worries. Well, as I say, I started out in non-league, which is not your typical route into football. Um, I then got picked up by uh, York City, who were in the conference at the time. Um, then got a move to Scunthorpe United, which was League One. Um, we got promoted to them with them to the Championship, um, where I spent a number of years in the Championship with um, 
Scunthorpe, uh, moved to Bristol City, went down your neck of the woods to Millwall, um, and then back up um, and back down the leagues. I played for Sheffield United in League One, Fleetwood Town in League One, uh, and then the last couple of years um, at Grimsby Town in League Two. And then I'm now um, Conference North part-time um, with Boston United. So I'm still playing, but... Uh, knocking on in football years as you can tell with the, <laughs> <laughs> and with so, the amount of teams. like what what then because obviously yeah like you said you know you can earn good money playing football it's fun obviously there's a risk of injury and you totally just being you know you know not allowed to play or whatever anymore so it could end quicker than other careers but what for you what was the main shift that you said right i'm getting into property and i'm going to take it you know uh, seriously now um well when when I got into property, um, I weren't actually looking at that as something that I was going to do after football. At the time, it was just kind of, I actually didn't realise what could be achieved through property. Um, I was just looking at it as a bit of a pension pot. Um, the the bulk of my savings um, I'd given to a financial advisor to invest for me, and, and I kind of had some some money left over, and that's when I kind of, me and Craig got his heads together. Um, Craig Mitchell, who you've already spoke to, um, I think it was quite some time back actually, but you've already had him on the, the podcast to talk about uh, his side of things. Um, but we got together then and, and it, it, the, the mindset, especially from my point of view, it was just kind of somewhere different to put my money. Um, I knew Craig had the skills and the team around him to, to do the, um, the refurb side of things and add the value to the properties. So it, it was just more... It was generally just a, a pension pot. It wasn't until um, kind of a year, a couple of years in, um, started to pick up a few books, um, educate myself on money, educate myself on on property, um, and and that led to to a realization of, hang on a minute, there's all these different strategies out there, and and there's a lot more that can be achieved than just a simple um, pension pot um, for after football, and that that's where it really kicked on from there. Hmm. And then the financial advisor, um, was he a really good one? <laughs> um, well, uh, I think by the sounds of that question, you've done your research. Um, I, actually, no. Um, I he lost um, every single penny that I'd got um, invested with him. Um, so that, that were kind of substantial amounts of money. Um, and that were my kind of, that were my, nest egg for after football I, as I said there I, I was always well aware that football is a uh, a very short career um, it can can fall off at any time um, so I'd sort of been relatively sensible with my money I'd um, I'd, I'd got kind of sucked in a little bit to the to the footballer stuff with nice cars and and nice holidays and all that kind of stuff but but generally speaking um as I say, I did have an eye on after football, so I was putting plenty of money aside. Um, and the financial advisor got my money and uh, quite a few of the other lads um, from different clubs in, in uh, into a, a hotel scheme, actually, that um, they went to liquidation. Um, so I kind of got the phone call to say that the whole pot of my investment savings had, had just kind of gone overnight. Um, so yeah, that was that was a tough time. Um, there's a lot that I would be thankful to that for. Weirdly enough, um, 
is because that that forced me then to to really knuckle down and that that is when the education side of things kind of really kicked in from from a financial point of view because I'd sort of been hit with this sort of um really bad news of, of kind of that the safety net's gone um, so a case of right what do i do now and how do i get myself out of this situation and make sure that i am fine and my family's fine for after, after football mm. and i mean when the i mean from that experience with the ifa like because ifas are obviously generally trusted somewhat trusted members of society right especially with the qualifications um so like what lesson did you learn from that that maybe others who are working with IFAs or considering it could maybe learn from? Well, a big a big thing that I talk about when I when I do uh, so I do do a, a little bit of public speaking myself now, which was an ultimate fear of mine, but I've uh, I've pushed myself out of the comfort zone on that one um, purely to get this message across, and it's to understand where where your money's been invested um regardless of whether you think um you've, you've got a trusted ifa there in place which that, i thought that um it's just to know where your money's been invested i i didn't have a clue that the kind of from my point of view um from my naive point of view i just kind of put all the trust in 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 him so much so that um kind of the the documentation for the the scheme that he actually got us in were, were kind of um it, it were this this huge stack of papers by all accounts i literally got the signature page and just say are you okay with this and i and i would just kind of that trust in that i just said yeah fire away sign the stuff and sent it back um so it, it's just and, and this were this were a guy in a company that had come recommended as well so it, it's kind of not always kind of trust in everything that you that you hear and everything it's making sure that you do your own due diligence and making sure you've got a thorough understanding of of where your money's been invested and that's both in and out of property um there, there's people um there is people there that um well there's this two sides to that there's people there that are willing to jump on and take advantage of people um we were all kind of uh youngish lads that that were kind of uh earning a lot of money and and kind of just took that for granted um so there's a lot of people out there that will kind of prey on that and and take advantage but then the other side of that is people do make mistakes so if you're putting kind of all your financial future in someone else's hands that they can still make the mistakes themselves so it's just understanding that, that when you're saying okay to something and when you're um, allowing things to happen it, it's that you you've done your due diligence and you know yourself that that you're comfortable with what's being presented because um, because things can go wrong as um definitely yeah and they often do and i think also it's like it's easy to get caught up on titles and like assumed trust like oh they're, they're this you know job title they know what they're doing oh they're a solicitor they know how to and it's like as annoying as it is even if you want to outsource stuff like you know your investments or whatever i think you always have to have like a base level understanding of it so that you can then pull people up on it or, or choose not to do it like if you're doing refurbs in a house you need to know what good plaster feels like or what you know good wiring looks like just just so that you can then say mm, i'm not happy with that and it's the same with your investments right it's kind of it's easy to it's it's very easy in fact to make a mistake like that for anyone right so um as long as you learn from it right which you have so yeah exactly that and, and i'm trying to kind of 
one of the things that I want do want to do down down the line is is to set up a bit of a an educational program for sports people or people with kind of shorter careers and things like that that, that just kind of educates them on the on the facts that they need to be taking responsibility too and not just leaving it down to other people to do so. So that's a, a pipeline thing at the minute, but it's something that I'm hoping will come to fruition at some point. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's necessary. I think everyone needs financial education, right? And especially if you have a shorter career where you get paid potentially like a shitload of money and you're like, oh, what do I do with it now? This person says they can 10x it. Let me give it to them, right? So it's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. I think it's it's definitely needed. So you lost money there and then you had some left over that you got into property. What was you like back then when you first started? Because a lot of listeners are potentially sort of you back then. Um, What was your like, did, did you have a strategy or was it kind of, I know you said you just thought it would be a pension pop. When it comes to actually like buying houses, did you say, right, I want five a year, that equals this much a year, I'm happy. Or was it just like buy some houses? It would literally just, just me and Craig probably over a drink just saying, do you want to, uh, do you want to buy a house? I think Craig were having a bit of a, a slower period with his, with his kitchen stuff at the time. And, um, and I had this, this little pot of cash thinking, um, what can I do with it? And and the mindset around the property stuff at the minute was that that were actually probably the slightly riskier thing to do. Um, but it, it was literally when we got into it, it was just right. This is we'll just get this one pro- project. Um, it was uh, an old shop that um, the guy had had started trying to split into two flats himself um, and just got weighing above his head. He'd clearly not thought about regulations or, or anything like that he, he'd massively devalued the property and and got himself into a bit of a pickle really so we we helped him out of that at, a, at an absolute steal um we we bought the building um for fifty two and a half thousand. um i think we spent 30 on it um which there were a lot of work went into that that when craig were literally doing absolutely everything himself so so time-wise it probably um took a bit longer than what projects do these days when when we know just to get the team in and and all that kind of stuff but um that then revalued at uh, at 130 um and the initial th- the initial thing for that i think we were i think um if my memory serves me right i think we we're planning on flipping that but um we, we realized ourselves that we could we could re- refinance and and take the money out and that were before what one thing I always say when we got when me and Craig got into um into property, we had no what I'd call investor knowledge. We just jumped. Um we knew the area that we were investing, both of us had grown up in that area. So we knew this was a really cheap building. Um and we knew that Craig had the skills um and the team around him to add the necessary value to a project, but we didn't know that um buy refurb and refinance was was a strategy it, we just kind of the, that just kind of happened we we didn't know um any of the other the creative ways of, of doing things that we know today um, we we basically just knew that um that flipping was a strategy um and and for some reason we just decided that we were going to keep hold of this one um and refinance the money out but as i say it came from a place where we had no real investor knowledge we had no goals of what we we're going to achieve beyond that it was just let's let's do this project and then once that happened it was sort of well hang on that worked really well um let's go again um 
and we just left it at the, the same pot of money. We did quite a few flips after that, just purely to 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 build the pot up. Um, but it was a slow process. Like people, like we we as I said, because we didn't have the investor knowledge, we were just kind of putting as money into this one project um, under the same impression of uh, as everybody else that if you haven't got any money then you can't do property. So while ever that money were tied up, we, we literally down tools on looking for any more investments. We, we literally just sat on his hands until Craig had, um, had turned the project around and then we'd gone through all the refinancing or sale process. Um, and then we'd go again. So we're buying right. And the, the stuff that we're buying, we, we always knew, cause like I say, having a good knowledge of, of the area really helped us out. Um, but it was a slow process uh, for the first couple of years. It weren't until we started picking books up um, and going to networking events and seminars that we that we really started to pick up momentum. Hmm. And how many years or so did you kind of, uh, as you you kind of mentioned in your email, plod along for before you went uh, into education? Uh, I think it was about two years, two 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 and a half years um, before like, we we started kind of picking up the books and things. When you when you look back at that, do you kind of look back at it like, you know, we learned so much over two years or do you think, oh, I wish we started so much earlier? Um, there's possibly a little bit of both because I do um, I, I do look at from the point that we did, um, we did start going on the seminars and educating ourselves and, and I look at where the, the business has kind of um, got to since then. Um but it did it did learn us learn us a lot. I mean, when you just kind of, I, I think people and I talk to a lot of people on the networks and stuff like that, and I think you, you come across a lot of people that that stuck in this um, need to know everything sort of attitude before they're willing to to kind of jump into the property stuff. We we never had that. We we jumped and it's kind of like right, you better learn to swim now because. Um, because you, you you're in and there's there's no backing out um, and even even so much as the project that we did take on initially well not your kind of standard house refurb it's it's a property that you you're split into two flats getting all the the regulations the soundproofing all that kind of stuff which Craig had got experience over the years within property um, but that was one new to us all so you just until you get in the property refurbs you'll you'll know yourself things things pop up and I, I constantly say that that is what property is about it's it's a constant um uh kind of learning process with, with every single project something different is going to come up so th there's a bit of both to that and, and one thing I, I do think when you when you go on the seminars and stuff like that, you learn all about um the strategies and all that kind of stuff but that's kind of the tip of the iceberg um when it comes to property uh, i always say that it's just a constant problem solving exercise there's always something um i mean there's a current project that i'm on now that's that's been over a year um a year in in uh, in the making just because of of problem after problem um and it will still come out to be a good deal but um it, you've you've got to be willing to to roll your sleeves up and think your way out of things at times. And that's, uh, you, you don't get that in a classroom. So there's both sides of that. I'm glad we kind of just jumped in because it, it gave us that kind of no fear attitude to, to getting involved and realizing, um, kind of getting thick skin from, from the things that were popping up 
but at the same time um i wouldn't necessarily recommend that to everybody because there's things that you can save you can speed things up a lot more when you've got the basic knowledge behind you yeah no absolutely and and i think that kind of leads me to my next question which is so the education piece obviously changed how you did things and and sped things up but you know for for those people out there who are like right you know i've got x amount of money i could spend two to well two to 30 grand on education as there's such a wide range or i could do it myself i could network i could you know go online listen to podcasts read books etc in your opinion as someone who's had the education what what would you say to someone who's like what do i do with with this sort of thousands of pounds what do you mean if it's like sort of a one or the other scenario do i get the education or do i put the money into to a refurb is that yeah let's go let's go with dash yeah that one yeah um i'd say that comes down to what knowledge you've got in the first instance if you've got no team around you you've got um no idea of where you'd even start making the phone calls on a refurb no idea of um of kind of what is a good deal if you if you're kind of struggling in your area whatever that is if you've not got a base understanding of of all that kind of stuff then i'd say go get the education learn the strategies learn the techniques and things like that but if you're kind of um if you're kind of in in a position where you've got um trades around you maybe you've got friends in the in the trades maybe you, you can partner up with your um a friend that's that's in that situation if you've got some level of knowledge if you're comfortable say you've grown up like we did in, in the same area and, and you can see a building and, and you're thinking that is is cheap i just want to get started then i am actually an advocate of of jump and and learn um but uh, sure that's uh that sounds like a sort of in a way a reckless way to go about it but i don't think it is what well, i'm not kind of advocating just go out there and buy anything if you've got some base knowledge and, and and you've got the people around you that you can trust um then um i'm all for going about that but and but at the same time i do think education is massive so even if you're doing that you, you need to be picking books up doing the cheaper cheaper alternatives than than spending kind of jumping right into your um your bigger kind of 20 30,000 pound kind of courses when when you can you can get off the mark on yourself and then build up to that the one one of the things i'll tell you the way we did it anyway is even when we started educating ourselves we went on um we went on the one day stuff um and then the, we, we did a, th- a three-day course which immersed you in it and, and you learned all the different strategies um that were kind of um i think i think we spent uh i think about three thousand six hundred for for the two of us which is still a substantial investment but what we'd said then to the next level up to that was like the main kind of year programs that you get in these different courses um the, what we said at that point was right well we've got all the knowledge now we, we've put a decent financial investment into ourselves into as knowledge um we can make that pay and then and then take that back in and and revisit the training if we feel feel it's necessary um yeah. so i hope that answers your question because i've sort of come at it from <laughs> from, from two angles there so I, I hope that's uh no it has and i think it, it's important you know because there's many angles right and it, it all depends on the person's situation but 
it's always interesting just to share our views on it because sometimes you're stuck and you're like, you know, what do I do? And then you see people who are successful who've done no education and you see people who are successful who've done tons of it. And it's like, oh, so it's all the same. Um, so, yeah, no, it's good to get like different angles on it. So, you know, once you had this education, you know, you paid that money for it, you took the knowledge in. How did that like, like how did that shift what you were doing going forward? Like, how did your sort of, I don't know, your week by week or your day to day or your plans, how did they change? Well, we've got, as I said, we'd gone from instantly, like for that weekend that we kind of spent in three day immersed in in this property course, then we we came away from that instantly after that, thinking, well, with a mindset of, if you've got no money, you can't do a property, to all of a sudden, actually, when we are tying our money up, there's an abundance of ways that we can we can keep moving in this. Um, such as all your rent to rent, your purchase lease options, all that kind of stuff. But one of the big things for me that I took away, and it was tough to grasp to start with, was um, leveraging other people's money for a mutual benefit. That is one thing that I struggled to wrap my head around initially. Both me and Craig did struggle with that quite a lot because we were just thinking there's plenty of people out there doing property who were more experienced than us. Why would why would people give us money to continue? Um but the answer to that is is because you're helping them too. The, the people just sat there with money in the bank, whether it's it's kind of family, friends, all that kind of stuff, or whether it's other investors that um, that maybe not in a um, not fortunate enough to be in an area where it's it's easy to get on the on the property market. It's it's helping all these kinds of people out. And, and once the penny dropped on that one, um, that was the real key thing that. Um, that really accelerated things and, and, and allowed us to do kind of multiple things and, and bigger projects. Um, that was a big takeaway that, that we got from all this. That was a shift in, in mindset that um, that we take that I took away from that personally. Anyway, so you know that that's that's a good point because I think it's not something that's discussed a lot. I think what's discussed is, you know, how to find investors, you know, where to find them, all the kind of mechanics, but the actual mindset of, you know, working with an investor, it it can be a big shift. I mean, especially if you've, like you've had a job, I mean, if you worked in investment banking, then, you know, potentially it makes more sense. But if you've worked in most jobs, like you're potentially not going to come ready with an understanding that, hold on, Auntie Jane from down the road is going to give me a hundred grand, and I'm I'm getting a house. And you're like, what are they getting for it? Oh, they're getting a percentage interest. But and you're like, hold on, yes, they're getting two, three, four, ten, twelve times the bank, um, on their money. And like, once you realise that, it, it like you said, it, it opens things up. But I mean, like for you, was it an easy shift, or did you have to sort of? talk it out with Craig or like how did you sort of work through that oh wow people are going to lend me money um it weren't an easy shift definitely weren't an easy shift because I I think again from the from the mental side of things and and from a confidence point of view it's I'm um I'm quite willing to back myself with my own money and things like that but when because I've been on the receiving ends of what things go wrong when someone else has been in control, I I wouldn't want to be the person that that did that to someone else's money. That's why the, the stuff that we do now, it's kind of there's there's plan A, plan B, plan C, all these kind of backup plans in place to make sure that I know and I'm 100% confident that um, 
that I can get that that investor's money back. Um, so it, th- that was the big thing for me was was the confidence shift of of having the confidence in our ability within property to 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 look at the stuff and and look at how far we've come. I think we were fortunate enough um, to be in a position where we was backing ourselves with us with our own money. I was backing myself with my money initially, so it allowed us to get them case studies, get that make the mistakes, get the um, get the confidence up and and kind of learn things firsthand, like with my money, um, which without that, I, I think I would have found it even harder. It weren't until you're looking, looking back and looking at the cases and thinking, hang on, we, we have actually got a really good understanding of what we're doing now. We've, we've gone for, got through this, we've got through that, that project, this went wrong and we, we dealt with it. And that, that for me, um, that for me is the reason that the the main thing that I do now within within property um, because me, there's been a shift in in how things work um, between me and Craig and, and all that kind of stuff which I can go into but the the thing for me um, is one of the things I'll touch on is Craig's gone into sourcing now and I know yourself I think does a lot of sourcing one of the things that I'm really hesitant with with sourcing is for that reason of um, of knowing that things can go wrong in property and I like to have kind of some skin in the game to uh, like have a vested interest in that property to kind of problem solve when then things arise which is the one of the one of the reasons why the dynamic changed with uh, with myself and Craig um, because I'm purely focusing on building the the a, a small circle of um, relatively small circle of joint venture partners um, that work in different ways but mainly they they fund the projects and i'm overseeing everything um like that it's not always kind of exactly that um but um if because if if my money is available then i will uh, put towards and i'm utilizing pensions and all these different stuff but generally speaking um the joint ventures are the funding but what that what that does that what that allows me to do is is see it right through even even afterwards when um, when kind of problems arise afterwards, whether it's tenants or anything like that, then I'm I'm on hand to to problem solve, um, and I think that's that's really important for me as a as a kind of as a person to know that um, because it, and it all goes back to the mental side of this because I've been hit hard with things going wrong, I, I like to make sure that I'm kind of protecting um, as to to the best of my ability, and obviously. Um, not everything can be controlled, but I like to be in and around and controlling as much as as much as I can. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. I think yeah, once you and look, not everyone's going to have like their own funds to obviously to start, but when you do it with your own funds, it it does make a difference because you kind of you then understand when you're using other people's money. Oh, you know, remember how I felt when I had my own money and the refer went over or this and that and. It, it really does teach you something that you just can't learn when using other people straight away but not everyone has that luxury um so once it so so you got into so you use other people's money i mean let's talk briefly about because this is something that everyone always always wants to know how did you find investors um and as you said you know are they jving with ownership are they loaning it to you talk to me about yeah how you found them and then or how you find them and how you work with them 
Well, the, the original um, joint venture partner that, that we picked up, we actually picked up from from the three day course that we'd been on because at that point we'd already um, we'd already got um, a small portfolio building. We'd already done a couple of flips, and we, we had this project, um, this um, this post office project that I know Craig went through all all that kind of stuff with you. We had this kind of bigger commercial to residential. Um, project um that would turn into a to a 10 bed which when we say bigger like compared to the to the standard houses that we were we were used to, it was it was a big step up so we had this project there um when we were on the accelerator so when um when things during the course of the the good thing about what we did was um me that you got kind of two for one on the course that we did um but me and Craig couldn't do it at, at the same time. For one thing or another, my football season didn't permit, only permitted me to do it. I could only make literally one, and Craig couldn't make that one. So we kind of asked and, and pleaded for them to let us do it, but do it on two separate dates, which were a huge benefit for us because I got the knowledge um, from the first one and came out of it all excited with all these different stuff and trying to explain to Craig and I must have been kind of blowing his mind a little bit at the time because he'd not been on it yet. Um, I think he did it about three months later, but in the process, in the time since since I was doing it, we'd started looking at different things. We'd moved into HMOs anyway. Um, so then because we'd already had this shift, he we, we'd got this project there that we're kind of sat thinking, oh, it's like, are we in a position to do it? I'm not quite sure, but because then Craig went and, and did that three-day immersion after me, um, we were better placed and, and a good joint venture partner came out of that um, and we got one initially straight from there. So, so networking has been a big thing in terms of where we've picked up um, picked up joint venture partners and, and funding and stuff like that. And then, I think one of the things that I am really, really slack with and trying to get out there a little bit more is the social media side of things because I can see um, the the value in in getting that and, and I know you specialise in in building a brand and all that kind of stuff and that is something that I am going to try and take a leaf out of your book because we have had some it, it, it's it's that base of building trust when when you go into these networking events and you're already connected on social media and all that. You, you've always got the, you've almost got this kind of like base relationship already built there. So kind of, it opens up that door to, um, to kind of connecting a little bit better while, while you're there. So I think that is massively important. I think it's something that I have, um, I've been really poor with that, like throughout because football career and stuff like that, I've been a very private person and not one to be kind of posting everything that, that I do on a daily basis out there on social media. I weren't, for, for majority of my football career, I weren't even on Facebook. It's only through the property side of things and trying to get out there that, that I've, I've signed up to that. Um, all my Instagram used to be private, um, so I've opened that up now. And I, I'm trying to trying to make an effort at that because I do, I do really see the value in it. And I think a lot of the stuff that we have, um, that we have picked up has, has been kind of either directly or, or loosely linked to um, to social media and, and just people kind of seeing what you're doing. Mm. Okay. And then, you know, in your email, you mentioned that you've done single lets, HMO and service accommodation, which you've pulled away from. Yeah. Why do you not like doing SA? 
because it's a business in itself um what happened was we um so we once we kind of came out of the um the train and all that kind of stuff things from a project side of things started moving really quickly um we also had the lettings company um that was obviously growing with our portfolio and then we started pushing that um, and getting that out there to other landlords which came became busy in itself um and then the, the service accommodation units that we that we um, that we got it, it just became um, we we became too stretched to be honest so we we, we sat down and and the the decision was either we throw some serious time into this and and run it as as a business that it deserves to be run as um, or we pull away um, and the the focus um, the the focus was always wanted to be growing the portfolio um, and doing um, kind of building up the projects as we go, doing bigger commercial to resi stuff and then even um, even eventually moving into to building, which Craig's already made that leap um, and I'm hoping to do at some point down the line as well. But it, it was just the time aspect of it. It, it, even, it either needed to be run properly um, or kind of pull away from. We were, we were kind of getting just kind of, just, just sort of, left to its own devices and, and suffering because of that whereas, whereas it's the passive stuff that we're more more interested in um i think i think service accommodation can be a really good strategy if that's kind of um if you're interested in managing service accommodation i think a lot of i think it's very hard to get service accommodation that's passive it, we're getting kind of managers um a management company in or or stuff like that um the, the platform fees it, it's just a business in itself you you even you need to take something out of the equation whether it's kind of really pushing pushing the marketing side of things to get direct bookings or whether it's removing the um, the management service so then the, that profits yours there's there's different ways you can make it work but if you're just really relying on kind of solely being passive in it all it it's it's a difficult one to be in, i think mm. yeah i agree i think it like you said it's a business within itself it's, it's hospitality so there yeah there has to be the passion for it and the need and the time and the want to to give it that time so you mentioned commercial to resi now this is something that you know i think i guess for people starting is uh, you know is it maybe an aim or something in the future it's not something that people maybe do straight away but from your experience to you know in commercial to resi what is your like i don't know your top three tips for you know, doing a commercial Terezi project or looking for it or anything about that at all for people who haven't done one yet? Um, I'd have a good understanding um, of planning. I think um, one of the things that we hit straight away, especially if you're doing HMO, was was a backlash from a, from a planning perspective. Um, so it's understanding what you can and can't do planning wise i think um i think definitely get a really good understanding it is linked to the planning but get a um get an understanding of the the prior approval stuff because that can save save you a lot of headaches um like i say that's there's a lot easier avenues to go down um through prior approval if you if you know you use classes and all that kind of stuff um and then 
it, it's having a good understanding of of your costings. Um, there's there's different stuff to just a standard refurb. Like there's, there's acoustics, there's there's regulations, there's there's all there's obviously regulations in your normal stuff, but it's it's just a different level. And it's just for me, it just comes down to an education. It's it, it's a similar sort of thing in terms of again, I keep going back to it. it it's just a problem solving exercise. Um, but education takes out um, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of the risk that's involved. Um, so I, I wouldn't be scared um, scared off by even even starting on commercial to resi, but um, I, I would find your feet with a couple first, but I wouldn't be scared of making that jump into commercial to resi. It is just very much a similar thing. There's just different things that you need to educate yourself on. Mm. That makes sense. And I think, you know, the thing you said about acoustics and I guess you also then potentially have like splitting supplies and things like that. I think it, it's easy to say, oh, OK, I've done buy to let. So if we do a commercial to resi, that's basically, you know, let's say you're doing shop to two flats. Oh, that's two buy to let refurbs. But like you said, there's a few other bits and bobs which you have to factor in that can it can cost a bit and can delay you like like splitting supplies and things like that. So it's yeah it's that education piece right knowing oh okay actually there's a few bits and bobs that are missing that we haven't done in buy to let that we have to do now so when it comes to now because you have because you've done sa single let hmos um and commercial to resi in your opinion which of i mean obviously not sa but which of these do you like the most and why um if you would have asked me that 12 months ago, I would have been saying HMO all the way um, because of the higher cash flow and things like that. But I do think that, that um, it is slowing down for me a little bit because um, the particularly the area that we um, actively invest in, and, and I hear a lot talking through different people uh, across the country as well, is that there is a, it is getting a lot more popular for people to be um to be doing hmo i think there's more of an understanding of what hmo is now especially among investors so there's there's definitely the competition um is definitely getting more um more saturated um so for for me um i'm looking to do the more commercial to resi in terms of commercial to flats um so still the bigger um the bigger projects but um but then the end product is more more single let or even sell um just until i've monitored how how the the market because i do think hmo um it, hmo the hmo market works in waves um you go through a point where everybody's all excited um and and wanting to get involved and then things start to slow down and then there's this state of panic or hmo doesn't work on things like that and i'm not saying hmo doesn't work because it's still working for me quite well um but I'm just kind of trying to diversify a little bit in terms of I'm trying to step up in level in terms of the projects that I'm that I'm taking on. Um, but I'm also kind of not not putting all my eggs in in the HMO uh, basket at the same time. So I think I think you need a certain level of underpinning, which single lets are still really good for. Um, and then I think 
the HMO market, you will learn a lot doing that. You'll get a lot more hassle if you're trying to self-manage. Um, but I think it's um, another good little learning curve. And I think it is a, a market that, that definitely still works. Um, but for me, it's the commercial to resi stuff um, that I'm really passionate about. Um, and I'm trying to step up into um, to that being flats rather than HMOs. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think it it's good to hear it from someone who's done a few of the strategies, right? Because, you know, for people who are looking at them thinking, oh, which one do I want to do? Which one do I not? It's, it, it's tough when you haven't done them. So a question on HMOs, though, which I'm asking everyone now, um, the management of HMOs. Uh, so obviously, I know you've got the lettings agency that you kind of use to probably self-manage things. But generally speaking, it might be a silly question, but HMOs, how how much more management do they have than a single let? How passive is passive with HMOs in your experience? It's a lot more hassle. It is a lot more hassle. I'm not going to kind of um, paint over the cracks on that one. Um, because we because we did um, set up the letting, so we were we were kind of in in effect self managing the whole way through um, and moving from um, single lets where you get. Uh, a phone call every now and again to say, I don't know, the boiler's broke, something like that, um, to kind of HMOs where you're managing people, you're managing different relationships within the house, you're dealing with people that aren't getting on, there's there's a totally different um, side to property when you're you're managing HMOs. Um, And it's trying to kind of... um, like I say, you're just always on a on a constant battle of um, <laughs> so and so has pinched my milk, or you, you just get these ridiculous kind of phone calls that you just don't get with single lets. So in terms of that, you, you have got to be be patient. Um, somebody actually asked me um, at a recent networking event that I was speaking at, um, would I self manage? Because they were they were looking at getting the first HMO. They they were looking at at self-managing um and i said my my answer to that was um because i actually really like the question um my answer to that was yes i'd i would 100 percent self-manage the first one um with a view of your numbers and everything else working to pass that off to a to a um to a letting agent i wouldn't have a long-term strategy of wanting to manage hmos but i would manage at least the first one, maybe two, so you can get an insight into how things work and what you would want of your letting agent. I think that's why um, that's why the letting agent that, that we've got runs so well because we've we've kind of come from the landlord's perspective, um, and I'd, I'd definitely be an advocate for getting an insider track on on how things run within a HMO. But I would personally. Which is the reason, actually, we, I'm I'm now no longer a part of um, a part of the lettings. Um, I've moved away from that side of things because I'm again looking for more passive. Craig's taken that side of things because, um, as I say, I, it was a little bit too much for me to to be getting. I'm I'm looking for more of the passive side of things. And again, the lettings is a is a business in itself, and I never never set out to be a a property manager. I wanted to be a property investor, so I decided to to step away from that one. But I would um kind of 
all day recommend them for anybody up uh, up in this area because I do know that what's gone into that and and the way they run and and all that kind of stuff is is really good. Um, so as much as the dynamics change between uh, myself, Craig, the lettings and all that kind of stuff, it's it's still very much a close relationship and um, and ongoing. But yeah, I hope that were a, a relatively good answer to your question. Yeah, no, it is, and I think it's important for you know like to get that across because yes of course there's more cash flow so happy days but the passivity is potentially what matters more to people right time versus money so it's good that people hear you know i think i think most people who have hmos would kind of say to you you know agree with you and say yeah they're, they're definitely more management um and again you raise something interesting there which is like you've moved out from that part of the business because it's not what you want and and for people listening just because you know that's a part of your business just because it's something that other people do doesn't mean that you have to do it right it's what you want in your business um yeah exactly exactly Exactly. And and you're allowed to change your mind i mean like the, myself and, and Craig, when when we set out, we we didn't really know, and that's one of the things when I'm looking for um, potential joint, like future joint venture partners. All the ones that I've got, I've I've worked t- worked hard at taking the time to uh, to get to know where they're where they're heading, where their values lie, all that kind of stuff, and, and what direction they're heading in, um, because you need to kind of be on the same path and and it's okay when the, those things change like the the circumstance um with with me at the time when we set up the lettings it was something that I wanted and and and, and happy days it made it made sense and then as things go along and you realize actually I'm now spending all my time being uh doing kind of relatively menial tasks kind of down at the properties like kind of doing stuff that anybody can do really um instead of being out there viewing finding the next projects working uh, building relationships up with investors all that kind of stuff it, it was taking me away from that so it's important to, to sit down every now and again and and analyze where you're spending your time are there, is that aligned with your goals what, what are you wanting to achieve and and just make sure you you're still your daily actions are still kind of pushing you towards where you want to be because it's easy to get sidetracked and, and get pulled in a different direction so that was kind of one of the big factors for myself in, in terms of pulling away from that and, and just changing the dynamic of how things were working is because it had it, it started to go away from from where i want to be yeah i like it okay so this brings us to almost the end so it's the quick fire round so i'll put you on the spot here um what are your biggest three so quick fire, quick brief answers. What are your biggest three mistakes in property so far? Go. Uh, underestimating the planning process, um, underestimating the reputation that HMOs have um, in amongst the general public, which ties into the planning process. Um, and then um, taking... Um, taking the building side of things for granted because I had um, Craig there overseeing that for quite a number of years. Um, I thought I was kind of immune to that um, and then had a, um, a kind of a bit of a bad experience. Um, through no fault of my own, I got out of it um, due to the knowledge that I had and, and the fact that I could see that, but uh, not taking that uh, for granted. 
Okay. And then what are top three tips for people who are new in property? Um, I'd say education um, is a huge thing. Um, get educated uh, as much as you possibly can. Um, through it, be, be through books, networking events, um, or um, latching onto people who've, who've already been and done what, what you're wanting to achieve. Um, I think you can't underestimate um, the value of mentoring and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think be willing to take the jump. Don't get stuck in the kind of needing to know everything before you get started because things are changing that quickly, but you're never going to be at that point. So I think um, as, as long as you've got a certain level of of education and understanding, don't be afraid to, to take that jump. Um, and tip number three, I'd say um, no know what your plan b and plan c is and be prepared be prepared for um plan a to change and not go to go not go to plan and and be prepared to problem solve your way out of issues that arise yeah problem solving is oh god it's literally every day in it there's always bloody some problem to solve and you're like oh i fixed that oh no it's back okay cool how do we fix it again or, or, or new problems all the time so Ryan, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the Tej talks podcast if people want to get a hold of you for a chat or to you know continue this this conversation where where should they find you um well i'm on uh I am on Facebook. Um, they can connect with me on there. Um, the main thing that I'm active on at the minute is uh, is Instagram. Um, so my personal profile is um, Woolly11, W-O-O-L-Y-11. Um, and uh, my uh, the, the thing that's purely properties is Wolford Properties. Um, so either of them two. Um, but if... Uh, people want to get in touch with me just connect uh, i'm more than happy to pick up the phone if people want to come up and and see some of our projects um if they're the local come and uh, grab a coffee whatever then i'm more than happy to, to spend the time in, in meeting and helping people because i think it's really important people have helped me along the way so i'm, I'm always willing to to help others amazing i think you're definitely going to get some messages on that where where are you based in yorkshire because it's so big isn't it please neck it's uh it's the wakefield we're in a town within the wakefield postcode which wakefield. is about uh it's about 15 20 minutes from leeds is the the city if uh leeds. yeah well, the man. most well-known place <laughs> Amazing. Really, thank really you so much Martin. Your, your yorkshire impression <laughs> <laughs> i'm a leeds baby <laughs> keith lemon mate he's my idol i literally wish i could be like him every single day Amazing, <laughs> man. thank you so much no worries my pleasure thank you if you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.